Hey, find the Gospel of Matthew. All right, Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 8. Chapter but today is super cool. I'm looking forward to this one. Uh, it's one of my favorite little stories in the Gospels. Uh, I mean, there's so many good ones, but this one, for a few reasons, stands out above the rest. One, because it's marvelous. You'll, <laughs> get it? Marvelous faith? You'll get it in a minute. And Jesus marvels. It's really good, but I'll give you a minute. Matthew chapter 8. Uh, have you guys heard like little Christmas, not Christmas, what on earth? Let me rewind like 10 months. Um, heard little kid songs growing up about Christ. That's where Christmas came from. Uh, what are some of them? The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me, right? We talked about that one a couple weeks ago. Uh, there's a whole bunch of other ones. Hip Hippopotamus. God made all of us. <laughs> Or if I were a teddy bear, I'd thank God for my fuzzy wuzzy hair, something like that. I don't, <laughs> I don't remember the rest of it. I just remember that from like preschool. Uh, what's one of the other ones? Father Abraham, Father Abraham the never-ending song. That's what you do when you got 10 minutes left. Yeah, uh, I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery, right? But I'm in the Lord's army, yes, sir. You guys know some of these? How many of you guys are like, yep, you're weird, and I have no clue what you're talking about? Okay. Who built the ark? Noah, Noah. Who built the ark? Brother Noah built the ark. Now, here's the weird thing. Why do I know most of these? I didn't go to church when I was a kid. I have kids, but how would I sing songs to my kids that I don't know? I think my grandma, mostly. It must have been. But here's the deal. There's one that you guys should be aware of, uh, but first of all, you guys know spring break's coming up? Four weeks, you guys get Easter vacation, spring break. Uh, does that sound far away or not so far for you guys? What? It's four Sundays. If it was like in four Sundays, you get a million dollars. Like, does it matter anyway? It's too far. In four weeks, four Sundays, you guys get spring break, Easter, and all that other good stuff. Hey, um, so I want to encourage you guys, challenge you guys, that though it is also very good, very good to have long-term goals and things to look forward to. You got spring break coming up in four weeks, and then just like two months after that, you have summer vacation, and then even though school starts soon, right after that, you get Thanksgiving. So there's always these things to look forward to, but don't miss what God's doing now, okay? It's awesome to have things to look forward to in the future, but don't look so forward to the future that you completely miss out on what's happening right now. There's another little kid song, if you want to call it that, but I think it's awesome grown-up song, uh, but called, this is the day that the Lord has made. This is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. How many of you guys know the song? How many of you guys don't know the song? Okay, here, we're going to do it. Here it goes. Yeah, what do you mean, no? We're doing a little short version, but basically, it's like you just echo after what I do, basically, okay? It's very easy. It says, this is the day. That the, Lord has made. that the Lord has made, I will rejoice, I will rejoice. And, be glad in it. and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. I don't remember how it goes from there. I will rejoice, I will rejoice and be glad in it. I, I'm repeating myself. Is there a different part? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> Veggie no, I think VeggieTales ripped it off from like our grandparents' generation or something. I don't think they made it, but I'm sure they used it. 
so here's the deal. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we're to rejoice and be glad in it, okay? Uh, yes, long-term, awesome, cool things coming up. Uh, I, I love the summertime too, but there's right now, God today, right now, uh, there's things to look forward to, even if it's just getting to sit and be with him, that he loves our soul. He died for our sins. He has numbered our days and keeps track of them, though we have not yet finished our race. He is completely perfect in every way. And today, the story we look at is awesome. It's a marvelous faith that we see on display today. Um, And so before we get into it, though, let's pray, and then we'll talk and read and learn and grow. But let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning, God, this afternoon, uh, Lord, and even tonight, You are unchanging. You are absolutely faithful. And Lord, would you be faithful now to speak to our heart, to encourage, to convict, to challenge, to build up. Lord, that we would learn, but we'd also, Lord, have enough faith to live it out. But teach us, we pray, in the name of Jesus. We all said, amen. Amen. All right. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with animals and stuff like that, but you guys know what an Impala is? Yeah? yeah. yeah? Like, the car. like the car, right? That's what everyone says, like the car. Wrong. That is also a Chevy Impala, but we're not talking about the car. We're talking about the African Impala, okay? The African Impala. Awesome little piece of creation here. Uh, this guy, small, kind of small, pretty beautiful, cool horns, uh, but incredibly powerful when it comes to their ability to jump over things. They can literally jump 10 feet high in the air. That's almost the hanging lights above you. And they can jump a distance of 30 feet. Okay, it's more than half the room. So they can propel themselves. That's, by the way, pretty much from a standstill. They don't need to get like a 100-yard run and then launch themselves. They just bring to go for it. They're awesome. But they have one little drawback. If you think about it, an animal that can jump that high and that far, how is it possible that you can go to the zoo, see all these impalas standing behind a three-foot wall, and they never go anywhere? It's kind of weird. These animals should be able to bounce out and take off and go back home or find a boat and sail off into the sunset or something, right? Why are they held captive by this little three-foot wall? Well, though there's so much potential and power behind them, the flaw is that if they can't see where they're going to land they won't jump. Really? That's it. And so they're held captive by something they don't need to be held captive by. The same idea is ridiculously true in the life of believers, that we are filled with the Spirit of God. We've been given His Word, the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And yet so many times we're held captive by fear, things we do not need to be afraid of. We're held captive by our limitations. I don't see how this could possibly work out. I don't see how this could possibly go the way I'm hoping it would go. That doesn't really matter because the just, the Bible says, shall live by faith. Matthew chapter 8, we're going to start looking in verse 5, okay? We'll read through this together and then pull the story apart and see what we can learn, but it's a a neat, neat story. So here we go. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, it's the name of a city, a centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I, say, I also 
am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. To my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west, sitting down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Tiny little story, but incredible truth. It opens up, Jesus is coming through the city, and there's a man that meets him. This man has a position within the Roman military. Uh, he would be known as a centurion. So when you see there is a centurion in the city, it is a military term for a ranking officer who had control, authority, and command over a hundred other Roman soldiers. He wasn't the grunt or the new recruit. This guy had some prestige, some power. Uh, they are coming into his city. Jesus is coming into his city. He's not going into Jesus's, Okay. Very important to note. We'll get to it in a minute. But this guy of rank, of power, of prestige within his own town does something incredible. He comes to Jesus in a place where everyone would have known who he was. But he doesn't come for himself. There's someone that he's interceding for, pleading, the Bible says. But who was he pleading for? Do you guys know? Do you remember? His servant. Good job. Now, servant is someone that typically no one really cared about, no one really noticed, and was by all means replaceable. I don't know about you. Do you ever walk to school as a kid? Maybe you still do. I remember I walked to school, and I can see faces, but I never got names of the crossing guards. Older lady, there's a guy who used to smoke a big old pipe. It was funny. I don't know if you're allowed to do that with little kids walking around, but he did. Never got their names. It kind of just didn't seem to matter as a kid. Or the ice cream man drives by. You just want what he has, not who he is. And it goes on and on. How many people have bagged groceries for your family at the store, but you never got their name? These people just kind of seemed not that important in the moment. The same kind of concept with, oh, just your servant. He wasn't coming for himself. He wasn't coming for his family. He wasn't coming even for his soldiers. But a servant that, by all accounts, this guy would not have mattered, except to this centurion, he did. A marvelous faith, one that moves God to do some incredible things, is number one, it is selfless, okay? A marvelous faith is a selfless kind of a faith. He didn't come to get anything out of it for himself, his family, his friends, his soldiers, but the one that no one else would have cared, would have been considered replaceable, is the one he is indeed, indeed seeking help for. It's awesome. He didn't just come and say, hey, Jesus, you know, could you help me out? He didn't come and say, hey, uh, if you're not busy later, could you come and fix my leaky faucet? And by the way, my, my servant's at home. I think he's dying. When it says that he was paralyzed and tormented, it means that whatever this guy was going through, this servant, he was not only paralyzed and couldn't move, but what paralyzed him was in, incredibly painful. The tormented means all of his muscles would have been tightened and locked up and he was frozen into position that whatever was going on was incontrollable and came with an immense amount of pain. And so this guy has an immense amount of compassion. He says, Jesus, help me. 
The word he usually says, he pleads with Jesus. He comes and he pleads. It means to call out to somebody, to call alongside of you. The way, if your house was getting robbed, you wouldn't call the cops and be like, hey, yeah, you know, whenever you're done doing whatever you're doing, I think someone's trying to break into my house and kill my family. So go ahead and finish what you do. No, what you call 911 is like, help! What's happening? Ah, I don't know, help! Help! Or if someone was drowning, you'd grab the lifeguard and not be like, hey, you want to go for a swim and maybe pick up some dead bodies along the way? Like, no, yay, my friend's drowning. Go get him, help. This guy comes out completely selfless. How do we know he's selfless? Because it would have taken everything he had to do it. What do you mean? He's in a neighborhood that everyone knew him. He was around people that would have been familiar with him. At this point, he gains nothing but looking like a fool, but he does it anyways. Would we plead for Jesus the way that this guy is, even if our friends are looking? Would we call out to the Lord for something or for someone, even if people were there watching that we know about? It's an amazing faith, makes amazing requests, that the more chaotic and crazy the situation is, the more crazy and intense our prayers should be. The more impossible something seems to be, the more excited we should be to pray about it. Let's just get to Jesus. Our faith, an amazing, a marvelous faith, is the same in public as it is in private. Uh, amazing faith is the same in public as it is in private. That if you go to school or the skate park or wherever your friends hang out or whatever you do, would you be embarrassed if the Bible fell out of your backpack? Or would you be willing to carry it around and be labeled one who follows the Lord? I'd like to think the, the second, that we'd be willing to be labeled a Jesus follower. But I don't know. This guy certainly was. That's what we do know. In a neighborhood where he was known, around people who would have recognized him, maybe even dressed in his military arraignment, he didn't care. He came willing because he came selfish, selfless. You guys know what selfish is, right? Selfish is, man, I want what I want, and I don't care what it takes to get it. This guy says, I want what I want, but it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do for someone else. An amazing faith is not absorbed or conceited or self-focused. It's others-focused. It's one of the amazing marks about a mature believer. They'll be more concerned for the souls of other people than they are their own situations. So... Jesus brings up a very interesting truth, kind of the opposite scenario that we find here about a handful of people that had come to him, and he calls them whitewashed tombs, whitewashed graves. What do you mean? If you guys have ever been to a funeral, you'll recognize caskets are, they're caskets, so there's nothing necessarily alluring about them, but they're very beautiful if you look at the craftsmanship behind it. They polish them up, and they're shiny, and they have all the uh, different metal or brass handles, and they put beautiful flowers on top of it. It's incredible. But what's inside? Dead man's bones. Nothing, really. It just looks great on the outside. Jesus brings this up in Matthew chapter 23. It says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Be careful, he says. Woe, watch out. Hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. 
Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men. You look great on the outside, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. If we ever begin to think differently, we ever begin to think a lot about ourselves, I would never watch the movie that guy went to go watch. I would never listen to the music they would listen to. I would never dress the way she dresses. Or, man, I would never hang out with the guys they, that guy hangs out with. Man, you better be very careful. Because selfishness isn't an external problem, it's an internal problem. And so when we start to think a lot about ourselves, we become like whitewashed tombs. It doesn't matter how big your Bible is or how often you go to church if the inside's full of nothing but dead men's bones. An amazing faith will not change. It's the same in public as it is in private. And it's not self-seeking, it's others-seeking. It's selfless, but it's also very humble. A marvelous faith is a humble faith. Remember, he comes dressed, I mean, you would have seen how many stars, you know, he has and what ranking he is as an officer and uh, would have been there for a long time in order to get this position, but he comes completely humble. He didn't care. What if his neighbor was standing outside and saw or mom walks by, like, what are you doing talking to Jesus? What are you doing? You, look it, He didn't come, Jesus, I'm an officer in the army. Jesus, I have power. I have authority. I have this ranking. He just simply came and said, Jesus, please help. He didn't come arrogant and conceited by what he had accomplished, how successful he was. He didn't show off his medals. Look, I got a purple heart, medal of honor, and Jesus, aren't you impressed? Not at all. He yielded who he was to who Jesus truly is. Quick question for you. When we talk about humility, to be humble, it means to, lead, to yield to someone else's authority. So when's the last time you truly were challenged and had to yield to someone else's authority? Now, look, I get it. As, you know, I'm 13. I, I, I have mom and dad. I have to yield to their authority all the time. Let me tell you something. Like, no, I get it. You got so many authorities in your guys' life. It's crazy. Your teachers, your parents, maybe coaches, uh, other family members. Uh, it's wild. But don't think for a minute that because you go along with what they're asking, you're actually yielding and being humble about it. What do you mean? If your parents sit you down and tell you what's up and you're in trouble and you're sitting there and respectfully listening, but inside you're like, this is so dumb. You're so dumb. Mom, you don't even know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. hey, okay, hold on, hold on a second. Just because you look like you're being respectful on the outside, if she could read your mind, which the Lord's incredibly familiar with, by the way, it'd be a totally different story. And so we can be sitting down in our body, but standing strong in our heart. You've not yielded to anyone. We don't know if this guy actually bowed. Nothing about the story says he did, but he certainly yielded his heart and he humbled himself before the Lord. Who outranked who now? Well, this guy, he wasn't trying to outrank Jesus, not for a minute. If you look at it, verse six, his response is pretty incredible. Verse six says, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Isn't that amazing? Look at his response. Verse 8, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. A humbling faith. He says, I am not worthy. I'm not worthy. What do you mean you're not worthy? 
Lord, I don't deserve this. Lord, I am not sufficient for these kinds of things. Lord, I am unfit. It's amazing what happens when you see this progression of first he comes selflessly, then you see him humility. He says, Lord, you don't even have to come under my roof. But you realize one amazing thing about God to be learned here through how Jesus is interacting with this man. Can this man approach the Lord? Absolutely, but he does it humbly. You and I, when we come to the Lord, we are invited to come broken, busted up, even full of sin, but we come humbly. He doesn't show up on scene like, hey, I'm a commander in the Roman military. I've got a hundred guys underneath me and you're going to be one of them. So you're going to fix my servant. You got it, Jesus? You would think a military man to be like that, but he doesn't. He shows up and he says, I'm not even worthy. I'm not worthy. Just speak a word. Luckily, the Lord's not interested in what we are worthy or unworthy of. God is loving all the time. Where is Jesus? It's not rare to find him sitting down with people you and I would even have a hard time sitting down with. We walk by people and they smell like a cigarette. It's like, oh, it's like, get over it. He's got scary tattoos. Get over it. He dresses weird. Get over it. Do you know what they were doing Friday night? Get over it. All those people are exactly who Jesus would have been hanging out with. So much so that the churchy type guys would get together and ask the disciples, hey, why is your master, why is your teacher, why is Jesus hanging out with them on Friday? Why was he eating dinner over here at this guy's house? Can you believe, I think he's a drunkard they accuse Jesus of being. God's not interested in what you are or are not worthy of. He's just interested in your faith in him. This guy came with a marvelous faith. It was selfless. It was humble. Did he bow? I don't know. But he yielded his heart for sure. Philippians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, awesome stuff. says, at the name of Jesus, every knee should or will bow. This is a fact. It's going to happen. Of those in heaven, yep, they're going to kneel and bow. Absolutely. Of those on earth, they're going to kneel and bow. And of those even under the earth, those who enter into the eternal flames of hell will still confess, they will confess with their tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And this guy just chose to do it then instead of wait till later. But it's awesome. He uses this phrase, the same one found in Philippians 2 of Lord. On the bottom there, underlined it, that Christ is Lord. That's what's going to be confessed throughout all of eternity. What's going to be confessed? Lord. He's the Lord. What do you mean? What are you talking about? Cool word. Super simple stuff. This word Lord. Now, by the way, um, has all kinds of different usages. People can use it for all kinds of different stuff. But one of them, it means owner. All right? Meaning you own it. This is yours. And this guy, by saying, Jesus, Lord, help my servant. He's saying, Lord, you're the owner. You're, you, it's all yours. I'm not trying to take anything from you that doesn't belong to me. It's all yours. It also means, right, supreme or to be the master of something. So this guy shows up, the centurion, Lord, by saying, Lord, he's saying, this is all yours, even the situation. I'm not trying to take it from you. And by the way, you're the one in control. I'm not trying to take control from you either. Thirdly, the decision maker. Jesus, you call the shots. The moment you confess someone as Lord, you're giving him the reins, you're giving him the wheel to the car, you're giving him control over all of it. It's his in ownership, it's his in control, and it's his 
indecision. It's awesome. Humility isn't this war between power and weakness. A lot of people think to be humble is to be weak. Not at all. You can be the most powerful person in the world and still have compassion and humility for people knowing when to yield and who to yield to. This guy did that. You ever wonder why, though, you don't get what you want when you want it? Or even legitimate prayers sometimes don't go the way we want. It happens often. Or they might have get, gotten answered. It just took longer. Or maybe there's things you guys are praying about now. I've prayed for this thing to happen in my life, and it hasn't, hasn't happened yet. Look, why is it taking so long? I don't have a perfect answer for you, but I have a few options to pick from. At the end of the day, we'll find out what the true answer is. One, could it be that it's just taking more time because the right people aren't in the right position? Sure. Ever read the story of Exodus? You guys know about it, right? All of Israel is enslaved by Egypt, brought under the power of Pharaoh, and they're forced to make all these crazy bricks and mortar to build up Egypt. It's wild. And they begin to cry out. They're getting whipped and they're getting beat. And in chapter three, God's having a conversation with Moses at a burning bush, but no one enslaved by Egypt knows what's happening in the desert. They're just crying out, Lord, help me out here at the burning bush. You have Moses and God having a conversation. God says, Moses, I've seen my people. I've seen what they're doing to them. And I'm raising you up to send you to free them. They didn't know. It took days or weeks or maybe even longer But God's plan was in motion. It just took time. Then there's other things. There's spiritual battles that get into place. Daniel is an amazing example of this. Daniel chapter 10, verse 12. Daniel been praying and crying out to the Lord. It's pretty incredible what he prays, though. Uh, And an angel finally shows up days and actually weeks after. says, then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day, and here's what he did. What First day what? First day, you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God. Your words were heard. When were they heard? On the first day you set them. Your words were heard, and I have come because of your words, because of your prayers. It just took time. You read the rest of the story, you find out Satan and demons get involved, and there's this crazy spiritual battle that goes on. But from the day, from the moment his heart said, Lord, I want to understand. God, I don't get it, but I want to get it. And he humbled himself before who? The Lord your God. Look, here's the deal. The moment you start praying, God starts listening. Why does it take longer than we want sometimes? I don't. Sometimes it's spiritual stuff. Sometimes God's putting people into position like he did with Moses and the children of Israel. Other times it's things that we don't yet fully understand or know. But he's the one in control. That a marvelous faith is a humble faith. But it's not a dead faith. It'll make amazing requests. It'll make incredible stances. At the end of this whole thing, The question that's got to be asked is, all right, Mr. Centurion, man of authority, privilege, prestige, power, control, you're the one in charge here? Yep. Who outranks who? I'm the commanding officer, except right now, I will gladly yield all that I have to Jesus Christ. Who outranks who? In your life, who outranks who? Are you hardening your heart against everybody and everything in your life, including God? Or is it one of those things where you're like, you know what? I give up. I'm tired of fighting it. This marvelous faith is selfless. It recognizes authority, right? It's humble. And it's incredibly confident, right? A marvelous faith is incredibly 
confident. This is awesome. Not only does he say, right, the humility thing, like, I'm unworthy that you come into my house, but he says, it's actually unnecessary. Just speak a word. All you have to do is speak a word. It's the same thing we find in John chapter 1, where it says, in the beginning was the word, the dwelling power of God himself, and that word became flesh. Jesus, you are the power of all creation. You just speak a word. You just say something, and it'll happen. I get it. I understand how this works. I know who you are. Hebrews chapter 11 is amazing, and I want to encourage you guys, don't fall into this weird abstract way of thinking, okay? Hebrews 11 is awesome, we'll read it together here in a second, but remember, I was in a class one time, and we had a teacher who uh, he said he believed in the sea god. I was like, you believe in the sea god? Yep, I believe in anything I can see. I can see the sun, so I believe in the sun. I believe in you, so I believe in you. I, can, I see this, whatever I believe in, whatever I can see. And then there's the whole wonderful argument. I don't know if it's a real scenario or just an example of a young man who was in a college class, and the teacher said something very similar. If you can't see it, and it doesn't exist. Okay, yeah, I think you've heard this maybe. So the, the young man says, teacher, is that true? You believe that if you can't see it, it doesn't exist? That's right. If you can't see it or study it, it doesn't exist. Okay. Have you ever seen your brain? No. Have you ever studied your brain? No. Well, then by your own confession, it doesn't exist. <laughs> Hold on a second. Now, I think he let some of the, the humility slide. I don't know if it's a true story, but it's a great example. There are things in life that you can't see, but you believe in wholeheartedly. There are. Have you guys ever experienced love or hate? You can't see either of those things, but you can see the result of them. I can bring my wife flowers. That's an expression of love. It's not love. It's an expression of something you can't see. You can get mad and get in a fight with someone, say or do something horrible. That's just an expression of something that you can never see. You can never see darkness. You get, huh? Nope. Darkness is just the absence of something where there is no light. There's things in life that we can't see. The air, you see straight through it all day long. You'll never see the air. What about a dust storm? You see the dust in the air. You don't actually see the air. There's things all the time around us that God has embedded into creation so that we would know he's there. And it says that faith, we don't just live because of what makes sense, like the African Impala that only jumps when it sees where it can land. Not us. We walk by faith, not by sight. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is a substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. This is it, that our faith is in Christ. Just the same way this guy, his faith was selfless, humble, and now confident. Just speak a word. Jesus, this is all you have to do. And that's all he always was. There's amazing examples of this. Uh, the wind and the seas in Mark chapter 4, if you read through it, there's this insane storm. The waves and wind are going crazy. They begin to tear the boat apart. They think they're going to drown. And Jesus gets up and he raises his hands to the heavens and he says, cease, be still. And what happens is beyond what you could possibly imagine. The way it's written out, have you guys ever been uh, in a swimming pool with like a boogie board and you start making waves? Like, how many have, or maybe you got a bunch of people do cannonballs, see how many waves you can start making. And as soon as you stop, the waves are going and then they eventually, they, and eventually they slow down, right? The way it's written here and, and described to us in Mark 4 is totally different. There's this crazy raging storm. It's like, raw, and Jesus says, cease, be still. And it goes, raw. There's no calming down of it whatsoever. There's just an immediate ceasing. If 
By what? By the power of what Jesus spoke. Or you meet a man. You meet a man in Matthew chapter 8, just a little bit longer after our story. Demon-possessed. What, what, what happened? Jesus shows up. That's what happened. It wasn't this wild, crazy, stupid Hollywood version of shaking a cross and, you know. Jesus shows up and he commands, you guys, demons, take a hike. And they do. And there's another story. By the power of his words, there's a young man laying dead in a casket. The saddest thing is that his mom's the one leading out the funeral procession. People are carrying him out, and you could have wondered, oh, is that, did her husband pass away? No, her husband's already dead. That's her only son. It's like, oh my gosh, your heart breaks, and Jesus walks over to the casket, says, young man, rise up. Well, did he like shake his hand or something? No. Some magical potion? No. Just the power of what he spoke. And this centurion, this man of power, look, this, this military man's power was worthless at this point. He has ranking in the, it doesn't matter. He has control over a hundred other guards. Couldn't fix his problem, could it? No matter how powerful or in control you think you might be one day, it'll never be enough to deal with salvation or eternal or spiritual problems. You need Jesus. People run around in life like the sky is falling. How, how confident, you guys know the sky is not falling today, right? I'm pretty confident. Like I would bet a billion million dollars that the sky is not just going to fall down and smash us today. But you guys have seen Chicken Little, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's a crazy little movie. You have this guy who just, the sky is falling and running, convinces the whole town the sky is falling. It's, oh my goodness. Was something else going on? Yeah, Sure. But the sky wasn't falling. Sometimes it feels like the sky is falling. Sometimes it feels like life's falling apart. Look, sometimes life is. This is a real problem. This isn't a fake scenario. Jesus doesn't say like, oh man, you know what? Count your blessings. You got a lot of healthy people in your life. What's one sick one? Jesus cares. He was willing to go to his house. This man's faith is a marvelous faith. It was selfless. It was humble. It was confident. Lord, just speak a word. That's all you have to do. Here's what's awesome. It's throughout the Bible, and you've got to note this, for the next couple decades of your life, you're going to hear a variety of things, but you take a survey, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and people that meet Jesus and ask things, there's one thing they ask over and over and over again, and there's one thing they never seem to ask at all. Whether it's someone who's mute or blind, someone who's uh, diseased and sick, whatever the scenario is, they always seem to ask the same question. They always ask, Lord, if you're willing. They never doubt his ability. No one ever says, God, if you're able to help, could, would you? They come with this amazing faith of confidence. We know you can do this. We're just not sure what your answer is. So they come humbly, they come selflessly and say, Lord, would you? We can show up with all confidence. God, I know whatever you want to do, you can do. There's nothing impossible here. I just don't know what your end plan is. So I'm laying out my request before you and I'm asking with my whole heart and I know you promised to meet me in this. And so Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. But here's my heartbreak Boom, and let the Lord be the one, the owner, the one in control, the decision maker. 
No one in the Bible ever doubts Jesus' ability. They just are unsure, and it's okay to say, Lord, if you're willing, it's not a lack of faith. Everyone says, Lord, if you're willing. It's just a confession of, I'm not in control. Lord, you take control. And a marvelous faith is selfless, humble, incredibly confident. Fourth is secure. Wildly secure. This is where we find out there's only two places in the entire Bible you see Jesus moved the way he's moved. Uh, It says that Jesus marveled. He marveled. Look at verse 10. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found so much such great faith, not even in Israel. I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way. And as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Two interesting things worth pointing out. One, Jesus marveled. What do you mean? What's the big deal? There's only two places in the entire Bible you see Jesus moved like this. One of them, this word marveled, it means to be in wonder or to admire something deeply, by the way. Those things that are abnormal and get your attention. The other day we were driving back from lunch and you, guys, you get on the freeway all the time. You drive to school, you drive to church, you drive, drive. You don't really pay attention to the cars going on. But when the Lamborghini rolls by, it's like, whoa, look at that. You're, you are marveling. It got you, whoa, look at that go by. Or maybe you're not an art connoisseur. I know I'm not. I don't have an art collection at home. And I, I'm, I'm just, that's not my thing, but I can appreciate it. And so if you go walk through a museum somewhere or an art gallery, for the most part, you're like, okay, well, there's a vase, you know, there's a something, and there's an accident. Oh, that's on purpose. <laughs> like, and you walk through. But there's always those one or two paintings that you just, you can, even though you're not a collector of fine things, you can sit there and look at it a little bit longer than the rest. There's something about it that just captivates you and you stand there and you you consider it and you look at it. That's exactly what this whole word means. Jesus marveled that he paused and he saw this guy different than so far anything else. He was amazed. He was captivated at this guy's faith. And it reminded him of something that was way beyond the moment. It reminded him of eternity. You know those movies where everything's going on and then it pauses and the narrator maybe keeps talking or one person does something while everyone else is still? It's almost like one of those spots in the Bible where this story is going, this Roman guard of prestige and power and high ranking comes in and he yields it all to Jesus and says, my servant's at home, the guy no one cares about, I care about him, and he's locked up with pain and there's nothing I can do. And Jesus says, I'll come and heal him. He says, no, I'm un- Lord, I'm unworthy of that. Just speak a word and all of a sudden, Rrr! Jesus begins to look at the man. I have never seen a faith like this. Not in all of Israel, not within all of the Jewish people. I've never seen this before. And then he goes off and starts talking about heaven. He says, I tell you from east to the west. Imagine your mind roll out a map from whichever country, continent, islands on the furthest side east all the way to the furthest side west. I'm going to gather people together from all around the globe 
with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the founding fathers, in a sense, of the Jewish nation. He says, they're going to sit with you guys. This is a brand new revolutionary idea. This isn't just for one kind of people group. This is for everybody. This is no longer an inheritance issue. It's a faith issue. He says, I have never seen faith like this in my life. It reminds him, and Jesus begins to share, from one end of the globe to the other, gathered together in eternity, is an incredible thing called the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We get a glimpse to what heaven's going to be like, Revelation 5, 9. It says, and they sang a new song saying you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. They're speaking of Jesus, worthy. Now look, the guy said, I'm unworthy. In heaven, we'll sing, Lord, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you are slain and you have redeemed us to God by your blood. It's the whole act of the cross. Out of, here's the fun part. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, all across the globe, all across time, Lord, you're gonna gather people together. But here's one thing to know. Jesus is denying completely that you can just pass something on to other people. Sad to think about, but one day your parents are going to pass away, right? And they're going to will their house, and dad's going to say, you know, I want you know, my son to have my golf clubs, and mom will say, I want you know, my nice plates to go to my daughter, and dad, the car can get sold, and what? They will things off, and they designate who gets what. One thing they cannot give to you they're supposed to influence, teach, and train you up as best they can, and that's why they bring you here. But they can never just give you their faith in Jesus. That's a decision you have to choose. To, by faith, step in and accept him as your Savior, or to step back and reject him. So don't think, oh man, my mom and dad love the Lord. No, that's, man, praise the Lord. That means you are doubly blessed. That's awesome. Do you? Man, my dad's faith is awesome. That's, hey, praise the Lord. You're a blessed man to have a, a, a believing father, but are you believing? Jesus says, this is wild. This man's faith, before dealing with the situation, this man's faith is marvelous. You think of comparing and contrasting heaven and hell here for a minute. He says, there's going to be outer darkness, weeping, and gnashing of teeth. What, do you, what does that even mean? Well, it's crazy. Outer darkness, compared to you read the rest of the book of Revelation here, it says that there's always light all the time in the presence of God, but in hell there's always darkness forever and ever. Never anything dark, always forever darkness. You're going to be a living nightmare down there. And then on top of that, he says weeping and gnashing of teeth to cry out, to scream from such pain is the weeping, gnashing of teeth. You guys ever hurt yourself and like, oh, the hurt so bad. It means to go, oh, and to clench down your jaw so tight that your teeth begin to shatter in your own mouth. That's what the gnashing of teeth is. You have on one side this incredible darkness, this tormenting pain, this breaking of teeth. The other side is, is just joy and truth, light all the time. And apparently we walk in and we start singing and rejoicing with joy, inexpressible and full of glory is how Peter says it, and that you'll have one last tear, but the Lord will wipe it away and then no more pain, no more sorrow. No more death. Based on what? Based upon Jesus. It's awesome. But the centurion, it's almost as if the movie picks up again. The scene starts going. It was put on pause. Jesus says, oh, this is amazing. This is marvelous. By the way, you're like, oh, you know what? You said there was one other place in the Bible where Jesus marvels at someone's faith. There is. There's one other place. But it's the complete opposite. 
in Mark chapter 6, he comes to a town desiring to do miracles. It says that he marveled at their lack of faith. He couldn't believe how little they would trust him. God's not impressed by the ranking of the centurion officer. He's not impressed by the power. He's just amazed at the faith. And so, for you and I, it comes down to who's outranking who. Will you yield your heart to the Lord? At the end, as he picks it up, Jesus tells the centurion, go your way. And as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. The lesson here, don't get confused, is not how to get what you want from God. It's how to yield what you have and to trust him with the outcome. We're going to close in worship. There's a song, we're not singing this one, but I love the lyrics. I want to leave this with you guys called Cornerstone. In the opening part of the song, it says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. You guys, life can be nuts. But all he has to do is speak a word. And so, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Father, we come to you sincerely, truly humbled. Realizing there's things that have, are, or will happen that we have no control over. But Father, that you have all authority. Lord, I thank you for the promise that from the very first day we set our hearts to just begin to understand and we humble ourselves before God. Instantly, our prayers are heard. Lord, I ask that you cause our faith to be this marvelous kind of faith. Be selfless, be humble. But Lord, I'd be confident. We'd be confident in who you are regardless of what we've done. And God, I do ask, whatever the situations are that are beyond us, Lord, we ask, Lord, heal. Heal broken homes. Heal messed up people. Change broken lives. Lord, if we're the ones broken and messed up, Lord, we ask, please, him pleading, please, Lord God, touch our generation. Touch our friends, touch our family, touch our hearts. But Lord, please do something. In Jesus' name, amen.